Hey, it's Travis. I can't believe I'm doing the announcements for a mini-series for the show that someone else wrote. Never in a thousand years would I have put this on my hotel bingo card. We've got a wonderful cast. Joe Stofko, Michael J. Rigg, and Dan Rosales brought to us by Graham, fellow podcasters. And Anne Yatko is a Genshin Impact alum of Mark's. Not to mention, Kelly returning as Noreen. Quite a treat for me personally. I adore Noreen. I adore Kelly. I can't believe five years later we're hearing more from her. Warhammer novelist Ben Counter wrote these scripts, and if my words of compliment fall short, trust that it was no small thing for me to unclench enough to let someone else pick up the pen. But as you'll hear, he is a wonderful writer. And rounding out the crew, Matt Roy Berger is doing the music for us, and I have been a huge fan of theirs since I started working on the SCP archives and Mayfair Watchers Society for Bloody Disgusting. I've been wanting to scoop them up for a project of my own for a while. And last but never least, thank you to Pacific for pushing this wonderful idea on me and producing the hotel. This is going to be our biggest year yet, and of course... We could not do it without his help. Thank you again, Pacific. But before we step outside of the hotel and into the world of true crime, this month's bonus episode. This month's artist is our very own Ibis. And it is no mistake that his postcard is not only an owner episode, but also timed to coincide with the zine announcement. It's all synergy. It all fits together like ungodly tapestries. Uh, No, I'm kidding. I reached out to him months ago for this card because he is such an owner fan, and then in the meantime, he and Jay did the pinup calendar. So, it's actually just weirdly good timing that grants the illusion of planning. Like most our artists, I had my eye on him for this for a long time. I love his style and passion and commitment to a middle-aged monster man who just wants to be loved by the people he hates. He's been posting his hotel art for what feels like years, and I am so happy to add him to the collection. Welcome, Ibis. This episode sees the owner trying his hand at true crime by investigating a string of murders in The Private Eye. You all have no idea how close you came to getting a Deep Space Nine bonus episode, and I'm not kidding, but I literally couldn't crack it. If I can figure out how, you're getting one, so brace yourselves. I was channeling my inner Kennedy Roundhouse for this one, though, and I think it turned out pretty great. Check our socials for the postcard art, and the episode will be available to patrons on the 15th of this month, so don't forget to sign up. Okay. That, as they say, is that. Let's get on to Trespasses. We've got four episodes for you starting now and ending on March 15th. Thanks for listening. Our world is full of stories. Some of them are world-famous, others are known only to ourselves. Among them are those stories we think we know, but which in truth are just the painted facades hiding the deeper fables behind their closed doors. We illuminate the places of truth we are not supposed to see. We find the meaning behind the safe and the simple. I am Cecilia Burnham, and this is Trespasses.
Listeners of a certain age and location will recall the high cheekbones and lipstick smile framed by a bottle blonde bouffant beaming down at them from billboards that appeared seemingly overnight on the streets of Los Angeles. They might remember the outrageous mix of 60s elegance and 80s brashness in her fashion, always crowned with a pair of red-framed sunglasses. What sticks most in their memories is the signature in neon pink emblazoned across each billboard, Noreen. By the late 1980s, the star of recording artist, model, and icon known only as Noreen had faded. She was a pioneer of the style that would define the 80s, but others emerged who did it better. She had a serviceable voice, but not a spectacular one and her management lacked the agility to reinvent their star to keep up with the times and fickle taste of a trendy public. Synth-pop and the new quickly-growing rap movements on both coasts eclipsed a musical style that still owed much to disco and 50s diner rock. She passed out of the country's collective memory until only two elements of her brief but scintillating fame were left. The first was the billboards, a brazen promotional tactic cooked up by her management that has often been imitated but not equaled. The second is the fact that she disappeared. Connoisseurs of music trivia will know the basics, but they're worth going over here again. On September 24, 1995, she was seen entering the best welcome inn in Independence, Missouri. After no showing a performance in town that evening, several inquiries were made to her management and family. She was declared missing two days later. The Independence Police Department were unable to find any record of her activities after walking into the Best Welcome Inn. She was never seen again. This is what the world remembers. A manufactured pop star, emerging fully formed into the public eye from nowhere, and a strange, muted vanishing to cap off her story. Where most others finish, however, I resolved to begin. Beneath the image, and even the name, was a real person. This is not the same as the character who adorned the billboards of Los Angeles and amused the media with her outlandish clothes and calculatedly strange interviews. Noreen's persona was carefully crafted to stand out and establish her brand, even before a record was released under her name. The real woman was Helen Krauser. She was born in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, population 2,947, sometime around 1960. Her religious family sang in the choir of the Church of Our Lady of Love, where the young Helen learned to love music. And that's about all I could find of her childhood. I think that's how she wanted it. If you can find a 1976 Red Rock High yearbook, you can see, on the first page of the graduating class, right there in the case, a picture of a young woman, still just a girl, really, with bright eyes and the same feathered hair as every other girl in her row. And under that black and white photo is Helen Krauser's senior quote, don't bother trying to remember me. I ain't coming back. By 1979, there were already pink flyers slapped all over L.A., promoting her under her new name, Noreen. 
she gained local popularity quickly, both impressing and confusing her audiences with her outlandish personality and appearance. Someone particularly impressed was Cornelius Vandenberg, an ambitious manager who had got his first breaks representing surf bands and club crooners, looking to expand his clientele. Together, they refined Noreen's image and were taken on by Stackin' Kraken Records, who financed the billboards that Noreen had long dreamed would carry her image all over town. Knowing Noreen was my first intention in following her story. True, I wanted to understand more about why she vanished, and, if possible, where she is now. But I felt I could only do that if I had an understanding of the woman who went through those strange events in 1995. And I couldn't do that with nothing more than a handful of airbrushed photographs and quotes from stage-managed interviews. Finding the words of the real woman, instead of the character Noreen, was a challenge. But the first break I got was when I found an outtake of an interview she did for Sensation Star magazine in 1981, not long after the billboards went up. The interview was recorded, and the original tapes were kept by the publisher until they went bankrupt, and the tapes, along with the rest of the company, went public. You might remember the minor scandal of some A and B-list celebrities' unguarded words being made public on tapes they assumed would never come to light or had forgotten about entirely. Nothing so shocking came out of Noreen's tapes, but something far more interesting did. Let's come to the billboards. Just what made you decide to begin with putting your face all over Los Angeles? Most pop singers wait until they're established in the public eye, or at least until they release a record, before going on the full advertising offensive. Advertising? Darling, advertising is for washing powder. What I am doing is art. Isn't it art? Don't you think so? I'd far rather look at the image of a beautiful, powerful woman instead of a dreary billboard selling cigarettes or cat food. I'm not trying to take anything. I'm giving. I am giving the gift of Noreen to the city. And how would you describe your <laughs> distinctive style? Can you put a label on a person's style? I'd just say it's very... me. Unashamed of who I am, bringing together the past and the future. Dare I say I'm ahead of my time? In short... My style is simply Noreen. Now, let's cut to the chase. It's the question the people of Los Angeles have been begging us to ask. What does Noreen actually do? Uh, Cornelius. Ba- baby. Cornelius, I wasn't Calm on the down. sheet. Calm down, baby. Just, you, know. you said it would just be things on the sheet. That is what you told me. What you Calm down, to? baby. People want to know. Whoa, uh, people get, want hey, to know. Give us a minute, pal. No, I don't like this. I can't make this stuff up, Cornelius. You know that. I can't just make stuff up right now, okay? We're a serious trade publication. I think it's a reasonable question. We all know your face and your name. We don't know what you're supposed to be famous for. Hey, we gave for. this interview on the understanding that we would know the questions ahead of time. Now stick to the deal. Or this interview's over. Maybe you should remember how valuable an article in our magazine Maybe is. Maybe you should learn how business works in this town. I've, I've had enough. I've had enough. Maybe no, I'm going back don't. to the apartment. I'm going back. Just stop it. Chill out, baby. Giving the readers. Well, I'm done. I'll get the. I'm done. I'm just giving our readers what they want. Oh, and you just cost yourself a whole bunch of column inches, pal. Now wait a minute.
Noreen was unflappable and iconic. Helen Krauser was as insecure and fragile as the rest of us. As her management pushed her music career, her bizarre backstage demands became famous. Candy cotton machines, soda fountains, a disco ball, and a DJ in her pink dressing rooms. But these always went unused. Helen Krauser herself only asked for bottled water and no disturbances. Noreen was the diva. Helen was the smaller, realer person, somewhere underneath the pancake makeup and neon lycra. By the mid-1990s, Noreen had been out of the public eye for a decade. Her music career had resulted in some minor chart success that was never parlayed into album sales or big live concert numbers. Vandenberg's angling for a new album deal fell through. Noreen continued to tour and perform, but without the kitschy pageantry of her heyday and, notably, without the support of her record label. Noreen had smoked since her teenage years, a habit her manager had tried and failed to end. Her concerts from the mid-80s on showed a marked deterioration in her singing talents, leading to the urban legend that she had undergone throat surgery that had damaged her vocal cords so badly she physically couldn't sing. Certainly long before her disappearance, Noreen was more a pop-cultural novelty and a cult icon than a singer, appearing at music festivals and local ensemble variety shows, where she told stories of her experiences as a celebrity and introduced sets by local musicians. She would finish with a medley of her songs, accompanied by these local singers, so her damaged voice would be less obvious. It was one such show planned for the evening of September 24th. Noreen had landed at Kansas City Airport that morning and taken a taxi to downtown Independence, Missouri. That much is certain. Police gathered credit card and travel records concerning her flight, along with security camera recordings from the airport and several businesses near the Best Welcome Inn. They assembled a thorough timeline of Noreen's movements during the 24th. She had lunch, then bought roughly $100 worth of cosmetics and toiletries on her credit card. The shop assistants remembered her well because, for all the dimming of her fame, she still dressed and spoke like someone important. She checked on that evening's venue, confirming she was in town and the schedule, then left a message on her manager Vandenberg's answering machine. This is the last recording of Noreen the world will ever hear. The police released the last footage of Noreen to the public. It is a few seconds of a slender woman in a knee-length white dress, her blonde hair heaped up in artificial curls, with a paper shopping bag and handbag under one arm. She walks through the revolving door leading into the hotel and into the darkness of the lobby. After that, Noreen vanishes. Hey, this is Travis with a brief ad break. Thanks for listening. Now back to the hotel. None of the staff remember her. No calls were made from her room. The police investigation determined there were no signs of her having entered the room at all. Most tellingly, and bafflingly, Noreen never signed in to the best welcome in. It is as if she passed over the building's threshold and off the face of the earth. The police also released the message she left Vandenberg, 
it contains few details of Noreen's planned movements or what might have happened to her, but they represent the last words we have from her. Darling, it's Noreen. Uh, I reached Independence Fine. Horrible flight. Someone had a baby. I mean, they gave birth. Just brought one on board. Damn thing cried all the way to Kansas City. Uh, Cornelius, I need a date for our sit-down with the record people. I thought that was going to happen last month. It's been ages. Book somewhere expensive for lunch. That always works. Pick somewhere nice and we'll wow them. Just like old times. Oh, and I saw one of those hip-hop artists working with a sample of a disco song from the 70s. Have we have we looked at anything like that? Because ironic is out. Cool is a new cool, after all. I'm sure we could do something. Look up some contacts and start the ball rolling. But, uh, anyhow, it's, uh, it's all in place for tonight's show. I'll head back to Cali in the morning. Uh, we have to meet up. It's been so long. Uh, but I better go now and uh, sign into the hotel. So uh, speak soon. Bye-bye. Nothing in her last voicemail suggests Noreen was afraid, or even worried. More interesting is the impression I get of Noreen as an evolution of her 80s persona. Now she is closer to a faded star from the golden age of cinema. Jackie O sunglasses and victory rolls replace the towering blonde updos and leg warmers. Noreen had matured with the times. Not enough for a Madonna-style reinvention— but enough to suggest that Helen Krauser was changing the character, too late, perhaps, into something new. I felt I had got far in my search to understand who the woman behind Noreen really was. It was only a start, but it was something. In particular, it was a lot more than the investigations into Noreen's disappearance ever got. Attempts to pick up a trail after she walked into the Best Welcome Inn came to nothing, as did the inquiries into her personal life seeking stalkers or reasons to disappear. While constant sightings of Noreen are reported every year, none of them have ever been verified. Note that I refer to Noreen's disappearance. All the news outlets, and even the police, refer to her as Noreen, not Helen Krauser. In a sense, they were looking for completely the wrong person. Noreen wasn't real. Helen Krauser was. And she was the one who had actually vanished. It wasn't Noreen on the security camera footage, or whose movements were tracked by credit card purchases and travel records. It was Helen Krauser. When I speak of Noreen vanishing, I speak of the event from the point of view of the public the media, and the authorities who spent their time searching for evidence of a woman who did not exist. Would they have fared better looking for Helen Krauser? Perhaps. I was able to speak with Patrick Walsh, a former detective with the Independence Police Department who was one of the investigators on Noreen's case. He has been an outspoken critic of the department in retirement, and I could feel his frustration with the Noreen case and several others which hit dead ends during his career. Missing persons always feels like a backwards kind of case because you're investigating something that isn't there. Instead of a body or a crime scene, you have an absence of someone. Well, it's like trying to prove a negative. 
Until you find the person, alive or dead, you don't have the body of the crime to study. You can only pick away at the edges. Where they were seen last, what they left behind, the timeline of events, the actual disappearance you can't study because there's nothing to see. Once there is, it stops being a missing persons case and turns into a homicide, assault, accident, investigation, what have you. Noreen's was one of those cases that never turned into anything else. That's why it was so difficult to admit we didn't have the answers. Especially with a celebrity. Especially when we knew exactly where she was up until the moment she ceases to be where she's expected to be. She walked through those hotel doors, and somewhere between the doors and the reception desk, she vanished. I got theories, of course, and we all did. First of all, a lot of people disappear through ignorance. I mean, they forget to tell someone of their plans, or it never occurs to tell them in the first place. They go off somewhere, people get worried, and they're reported missing. Those mostly get solved quickly because the person turns up later wondering why there are cops everywhere. Sometimes they're off on an unrecorded trip and something happens to them, usually an accident. If that's the case, Noreen changed her mind about what she was doing immediately after walking into the hotel, left without anyone seeing her, and got in some accident that left her somewhere she was never found. I'd say it's just about possible. Most common idea I've heard is that she deliberately vanished. Every unsolved disappearance has people saying they started a new life somewhere else. Usually I don't buy that, but this time uh, it's a lot more possible. Noreen was in the public eye, at least she used to be. Maybe she didn't like living as a one-time celebrity who never hit the big time. Could be she wanted a normal life where nobody knew she used to be Noreen. (laughs) Thing is, the Best Western had cameras at each exit because of criminality that had occurred there in the past. And for once, they actually still had the recordings when we asked for them. Never saw anyone coming out who could have been Noreen that we didn't account for. So if she wanted to vanish, she worked out how to turn invisible first. Then there's another person being involved. The idea that someone killed or abducted her. I think this is the least likely of all. Whoever it is has to gain control of her immediately after she walks through the front doors without anyone noticing and get her out of there. Again, without being seen on any of the cameras. And there were never any ransom demands, no sign of struggle or violence anywhere in the hotel. No motive, as far as anyone could tell. It was in daylight and in public. Uh, Could it be some random sicko who grabbed a victim who just happened to be famous? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it could be. But there's no evidence for it, and a whole lot against. Personally, 
I think she chose to disappear. I think she did it by hiding out in the hotel for a day or so, and then leaving with different hair and a new set of clothes. If she'd leave after the time we'd got on the recordings of the exits, but before she was reported missing and the hotel was searched, who knows? The staff say it was impossible, but how hard is it to ignore someone at work? Take a bathroom break or a nap? You're going to tell your boss you were napping during a missing person's case? (laughs) Even then, I bet there's some crawl space or store cupboard. She could have stayed out of sight for 24 hours. Today, Noreen's in a small town someplace, working an office job. Give her bifocals and a cardigan. (laughs) You'd have no idea. Good on her, I guess. I just wish she hadn't left us with so much work. I said earlier that no trace of Noreen was ever found. That's how it is put in most of the articles about her disappearance. It's also not entirely true. That Noreen entered the Best Welcome Inn is certain because of two pieces of evidence. The first is the recording of her entering. The second was found by one of the staff in a first-floor bathroom adjoining the lobby. Noreen had yet to be reported missing at that point, so it was left behind the desk with all the other lost-and-found items. It was a woman's handbag, made of gold fake leather. Inside were some cosmetics, a plastic orange hairbrush, a broken nail file, a half a packet of breath mints, and an appointment book with a leopard skin print cover. There was no wallet or other identifying items, but the cosmetics matched the ones Noreen had purchased earlier that day. The book was seized on by police as a potential source of crucial information, since if it really was Noreen's, it could have information on her activities that day relevant to her disappearance. Maybe she was meeting someone at the hotel, or had a to-do list that suggested she was about to try to vanish. But there was nothing. Of course, scans of it ended up online. Most of the book was filled with travel arrangements and reminders of showtimes and venues, which were easily verified as mundane. All the names and numbers were checked and found to be equally uninteresting. I looked through the entire thing myself, just to make sure I'd seen everything relevant to the case. I saw something none of the media reports had mentioned. It was a song, written on the last couple of pages, and possibly the last thing Noreen wrote before she disappeared. The song was called Wearisome's Rest, and was about coming to the end of a long and eventful life, looking back on happy memories and regrets, knowing it was time to rest and reflect now it was coming to an end. It read more like a mournful country ballad than one of Noreen's manufactured pop songs. Noreen has no songwriting credits on any of her albums, and there's no evidence she ever wrote anything. Perhaps this is the only one. It had a sad but contented quality, and I wish she had been able to record it. Her older, damaged voice would have suited the subject. I think it would have been rather good. 
The police undoubtedly read the song lyrics, but there was nothing in them they recognized as evidence, so they ignored it. The media did, too. But I didn't. I don't know where Noreen went. More importantly, I don't know where Helen Krauser went, either. I feel I have found out something that is, in its own way, just as significant. I can't put my finger on exactly what it is that I found in that jumble of information and disappointments that made up the Noreen case. It was something Patrick Walsh had missed along with everyone else who was looking for her. But it was definitely there, somewhere between the lines of Wearisome's Rest, in the warped video frames showing that slightly too thin figure pushing through the revolving doors of the Best Welcome Inn, in the background of the lurid L.A. billboards, in the relationship between Noreen and Vandenberg. I wonder if Noreen actually only vanished from her world, one lived entirely in hotels, separated off from a normal existence of home, family, and the everyday. At the same time, Helen Krauser appeared in our world, fleeing one that no longer had a place for her. No one really vanished. They just moved between two lives, exiting one and taking up residence in another. I think it is a very real possibility that Noreen ceased to exist, but that Helen Krauser is somewhere else, living a different life entirely. Or perhaps Helen Krauser is dead, and Noreen with her. Yet somehow, even though these questions cannot be answered, I knew there was something more to find. So I did what I always do. The old refrain of the investigative journalist. I kept looking. Trespasses Episode 1, Noreen, starred... Anne Yatko as Cecilia Burnham, Joe Stofko as Detective Walsh, Michael J. Rigg as Cornelius Vandenberg, Dan Rosales as The Interviewer, and Kelly Ninaltowski as Noreen. Story by Pacific Obadiah, Travis McMaster, and Ben Counter. Written by Ben Counter. Music by Matt Royberger. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser-known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now.